This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails, presented by Data.World, the catalog for leveraging agile data governance to give power to people and data. We're coming to you live from Austin, Texas. This is Data.World HQ. It's an honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverage in hand. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd and product guy at Data.World, and this is Juan. Hey, everybody. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World, and always a pleasure to chat about data. And look, one of the things that's happened the last couple of years uh, because of the pandemic, we've been talking about data through a lot of podcasts. And this gentleman who's going to join us in a second is one of those podcasts that I think out of everything that's coming out there, it's just very well, not just where you're produced, but I really love how he's so thoughtful about every single guest and how he really kind of kind of squeezes about all this content that we get to learn so much about uh, everybody who has. And that is Loris Marini, who is the founder and host of Discovering Data. Loris, how are you doing? Guys, I'm I'm doing really well. Enjoying the new place. Just moved to 100Ks west of Sydney, living the dream. You are in the future, my friend, right? Because uh, you're always a, yeah. almost always a day ahead of it's us. Late <laughs> afternoon here, early morning for you. So so glad. Exactly. You <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's kick us off. So, what are we drinking? What are we toasting for, Loris? Uh, nine nine a.m. your time. What, what are you drinking? Nine a.m. my time. There's a little bit of espresso left here in the cup, <laughs> and I'm toasting to space for the family and uh, yeah, just a nice space to to grow and thrive. Yeah, you were describing your your environment, and it sounds very beautiful. Open spaces, wildlife, good stuff. Oh yeah, man, blue skies and horses and just a lot of room around us. So it's good. It feels good. That's okay. awesome. How about you, Tim? Uh, I am drinking a Lagunitas IPA. We're a little bit on a beer kick. I promise we'll be back on the cocktails very shortly. We feel embarrassed when we eat beer <laughs> and things like that. We're like, ah, oh, we got to get back to the cocktails. So we'll be back. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll cheers to, uh, to to space as well. You know, I, I it's it's nice when you can get away from home. And uh, I think I need a vacation in someplace very spacious. That's my goal now. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm having one of my favorite local beers uh, from Texas called uh, Fireman's Four. And um, I think... Following on the same space, I think we're really lucky once you if you have that space and enjoy it with family. That's something I was very appreciated. Like during the pandemic, uh, we locked down and then it was my wife and I and we had like luckily this gigantic house that I just feel so lucky about that. You really appreciated that. So, yeah. So to, to space and having space and enjoying that with family. So cheers. Cheers, cheers, cheers to, that. to that. Cheers to that. And as a, we'll, we'll dive in in a moment, space in many different senses of the meaning of the world. Uh, so not just uh, not just physical space, but mental space as well, which we need more and more. Yeah. All right. Well, we got our warm up question today. So what is yep. the worst or the weirdest place you've ever misplaced your keys? Um, is it boring if I say that I've never <laughs> misplaced my keys? I don't remember. Maybe once. Actually, no. There is there is one event. One time as a kid. Um, they fell in between the gap between the concrete and the elevator, and it took the an electrician to actually come in and access the 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 the, the bottom axis of the of the tunnel to get them out. But I think that was a long time ago. That must have been complicated. I, if, for a second there, I was about to be like, "You never lost your keys." <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Tim, I'll be up first. How about you, Tim? Do you have one? Um, so I have a quick funny story where um, a 10, probably 12 years ago when I first moved to Austin, um, uh, my startup office was downtown. Uh, my friend had a startup office downtown. Um, and then we went out for a night on the town with some coworkers and friends, um, had a great time. And then uh, the girl I was with actually um, took me back to my place uh, and I didn't have my keys and I had no idea where they were. Uh, and I actually had to stay over at her place because I didn't have my keys. And so it was so awkward. Like I slept on the couch. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and later I found it. I left it not in my office, but my friend's office. Where this story ends is that that girl ended up marrying. She's my wife. She's Holly. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That was my keys. I lost my keys and I found a wife. There we go. How good is that? Yeah, I, love that. <laughs> well, I, I, I do have a key story. Yeah. So I was in um, I, I, I finished my high school in Switzerland. Uh, so it was in Zurich. We lived in Zurich and I literally lost my keys. I got back home. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't have my keys. So uh, my host family, they open up and they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. Next day, we actually get a call from the police station saying, yeah, yeah. Somebody found your keys and they turn it in. And actually in Switzerland, every single key has basically like an ID and they know, oh, this key belongs to this door in this house by this house. Wow. That's how the key showed up. So that was uh, <laughs> perfection in Switzerland. It's just out of the Swiss world. efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> efficiency. But all right, let, let, let's get into kind of a little bit of, uh, of just maybe things that aren't that efficient, right? All right. Yeah. Or honest, yeah. no BS. What is the most effective way to understand the business? Yeah, I um, might sound like a simple answer, but I think the best way is to never be tired of asking questions and following the the money. Really, um, it's very it's very easy to forget that uh, you know what we're doing in uh, data in technology in general is to use technology to solve business problems. Uh, when you get really bogged down into the technical details which are fascinating and we all love as technical people. Uh, it's very easy to forget that you're there to make money, to increase margins, to reduce risk. Um, so you gotta, you got to see how the money flows and ask people questions when you don't understand. And it's totally okay not to understand it because businesses are complex machines. And so, so, so I want to just give an applause to this because it is a simple answer, what you just said. But... Why don't people get this? I mean, you said it. I, I, I've said this before, and, and I and, and kind of people like, oh, what do you mean? Follow the money, like understand mm. how the money. Well, this goes back to a conversation we had about business literacy. Understand how the business works. Understand how the money flows, and when the money flows, you understand the people around it, the departments. Blah, blah, blah. Why don't people get this? This I, I bring this up, and they they kind of think it's like oh, we're not working finance or whatever. Why is this? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I um, I'm not sure why that is. I think uh, I suspect you know if I look at my transformation as from someone that worried almost exclusively about technology and and algorithms and implementation details to someone that got more and more interested about the business. Um, I think the transition for me was to realize that a business is made of um, of relationships, and when we say follow the money, it's not just the dollar amount. It's the um, 
it's the connections between people because you know money is an abstraction we all agree that you know it didn't exist we invented money but it's a way to measure value um, value exchange and value is exchanged not between machines but between people and so sometimes you can't put a dollar value on a relationship between two people two teams two entities within the business but if you understand the dynamics then you can kind of imagine you know what should you do to make that relationship more or less effective and that will uh, in turn translate into cash flow eventually now the question is which relationship matters the most in other words we know what part of the business should you focus on to have the biggest impact on the bottom line and that's something that requires business literacy as you said all right um how do how do we get people to start thinking about this because I, because th this is what I struggle is like, I mean, people are like, okay, I get this, but is it because they're intimidated that they, they, they feel they're out of their box? How, how, how do we get them thinking about this? Or, or is it just a unique type of leaders who, are, who, who will be doing this? And it's not for everybody. No, I think it's for everyone. Um, and uh, what worked for me is actually there's one thing that stuck with me a recent uh, episode you did with um joe reese uh, he mentioned something like a curriculum driven development for technical people which uh i think it's so true right we we as technical uh people we get really fixated with trying to be the smartest in the room and know and and, and show everyone that we know the latest tech uh, and so the focus is on that is on uh, implementation is not so much on the business because the business feels like so disconnected from us yes we're part of the technical team but in the end you know there's politics and there's relationships within people and relationships are complicated are messy it's so much easier to read the documentation on github for the latest tech than to you know leave the keyboard and the mouse aside walk across the hallway and actually ask a question to someone that quite frankly speaks a language different from you um it's not that comfortable, you know, when you're not used to it, when you live in your tech bubble, going to a, even a, a chief financial officer and having a, a business conversation with them that makes sense, it's kind of intimidating. So we don't do it because we're afraid that people will judge us. We'll, we'll, we're afraid sometimes that, you know, the mask will fall down on the floor and people will realize that, hey, we're just technical people, um, you know, and, um, and we don't like that necessarily. Mm. Yeah, we don't want to so, be judged. So it's uh, so we stick to what we know. We we fixate on the technology and things like that, and then we talk with other technologists because it's a we have our own language, right? Yeah, and how do you fix that, Juan? Is an excellent question. How do we how do we make change happen? I think it starts for me from um, once you figure out your tech and you're comfortable within your tech bubble, you know you can do stuff. And you know you can deliver within reasonable time frames and you know you've, you're on top of your work i think that's a moment that's a good moment to start going back into feeling uncomfortable and and chasing those opportunities to talk to to people that are outside of your domain and um you know it might feel like a waste of time sometimes if you do it without a strategy but if you there, there is there is a habit of curiosity i think that is self um um, sustaining, you know, when you start the first time, it feels weird because it's a different domain, different language, different people, but then you do it and 
probably you walk away thinking uh that was just you know it didn't go anywhere but your subconscious you somehow you know perceives information and processes and next time you do it it goes slightly better and by four the, the fourth or the fifth time you start seeing patterns on how people speak and you can connect dots because you talk to Jane from marketing and you talk to Mike from sales and you now you see similarities as an outsider and it's really the best way to do it is 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 you see patterns when you are outside of the team where you're not bogged into the details um, and people appreciate that when you go like hey actually you should have a conversation with that person because they're struggling with exactly the same problem slightly different domain you know but um, I bet you can you can get along and hit the ground running and actually you know, do something useful. How, how do you um, have genuine conversations with people? Like, what's the approach to that? Uh, for me, the, the, it, it starts with, um, with being curious, with, with feeling this <laughs> desire of you want to learn, but you can't feel that you want to learn if you don't realize that you've got something to learn. So the first step is, is you know, the, the usual saying, you know, when uh, the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. Um, it, it's an exercise, it's a muscle. Um, and look, like, I'm, it's totally understandable why people don't do that, you know, because it feels uncomfortable. Not knowing is not something that we value as a society. We, we, we used to think about value add as you come in as an expert and you advise people on what to do instead of coaching them to find the best way to solve their problem. And it's really like a, a mindset shift, I think. So, so we're, get, we're having a very deep kind of, we've got into a very deep, almost philosophical conversations right now. And I really appreciate this because it, there is a theme that we've been having in our, in, in our podcast and in yours too, and just going off now to conferences and talking to people. Um, curiosity is a theme. This is this is something. I mean, I can tell you that on our side. I mean, we've had our with with Vip Parmer like our, 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 when we kicked off for the season this year. The, the, um, this we kicked off the season, uh, the one we did with Rupal. Um, actually, at the end of our season last time with Ergus, mm -hmm. right? He brought up what do what do data engineers need to go do? What are their skills? And he surprised. He surprised. I didn't yeah, expect. We he were said, expecting him to say a technical skill or something like that. Yeah. He said curiosity and empathy and that has stuff has stuck to me has stuck with me and i brought this up over and over again and i gave a couple of talks last week with students and stuff and the and, I, and people asked for the advice i said be curious and be empathetic and and i think this is just a call for everybody it's like you know what it's the curiosity it, it, we're going to ask a bunch of questions it's fine if we don't know. And I think you said it yourself. It's like, oh, we're usually brought in as the expert. Oh, we're we're going to go hire this data team because they know what they're doing and stuff. And it's like, it's fine if we don't know this stuff. I mean, this is this is the honest no BS. I think we just need to have more of that honest no BS style of like, I don't know, but I want to go learn. And I, I don't know what I don't know, which is important at this moment. So let's go yeah. figure that out because me figuring it out is going to help you figure out some other things. And as you said yourself, we're going to start connecting the dots. And I think... We're just kind of sometimes in organizations mm -hmm. being so robotic and we're like, okay, here's my task. This is what I'm going to go do and I'm done. And But no, an organization, a company, it's, 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 it's another living being that has everything yeah. is connected. And, and anyways, I'm ranting again. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> you no. comment on, what, on my rant here. Yeah, what do you think about that? 
No, I think I think it's spot on, Juan. I think uh, the fundamental, you know, one we we start root causing right the issue. Why is it that things are the way that they are? Um, it's good. It will take longer than than the time we have available for today. But I think um, the I see stiffness, and that stiffness comes, I think, from the way we even prepare for the workplace. You know, universities and like you, you know, I spent quite a bit of time at uni, um, they focus on knowledge transfer. And I think there's a difference between knowledge transfer and knowledge creation. The knowledge transfer is like the tip of the iceberg, the nice tidy thing, the textbook, the deck of slides, the thing that somebody already polished and designed in a structure that is optimized for you to absorb. And that's what we do at uni, right? We, we do exams, then we hit the workplace, but we don't really ever learn about um, uh, psychological safety or coaching or um, us making people feel comfortable even when uh, they're not feeling comfortable. So reading body language, for example, which is a whole uh, mm -hmm. different thing. It has nothing to do with words. It has to do with movements and you know subtle changes. It has to do with emotional intelligence, which is something we don't learn. Uh, and th this is perhaps, you know, it belongs to the bigger field of leadership and coaching. But I think we need to tap into those skills because it, this is something that's not in any way anything new. People have developed this sort of thing. So we just need, we, we haven't thought yet how to apply them to data and information, you know, and data teams and knowledge management teams. Um but back to the, because there's one thing actually that I love about what you say, you know, on LinkedIn, I see you commenting on posts, you know, it's knowledge first, there's knowledge first. And I think you're absolutely right, right? The focus, the data is the raw ingredient and knowledge is what people actually use to actually make decisions and, and move um, into the world, right? And take, take actions based on that knowledge. But so how do we, how do we create knowledge? And the reality is something that business leaders I'm not comfortable with, to be honest, one and team. I mean, they knowledge creation is messy, is not a linear process. You can't really predict how long it's going to take. Of course, you need to have deadlines because without a deadline, nothing happens. But creating knowledge within the enterprise is something that you can't really, you know, put All up right, so say we're going to create knowledge in one hour, nine to ten. So let's dive into let's dive into what your what your definition is of creating knowledge within an organization. I, I got yeah, mine. So I, I want to hear yours. Yeah. So creating knowledge to me is the messy process of adding useful, actionable information to the already existing body of knowledge so that people can solve old problems in a more effective way and perhaps be more equipped to solve new problems when they arise. How does that? Okay. No, no. So I think that's a fair statement on what knowledge is and how we're kind of creating more knowledge. Now, I, I, from your perspective, I would love to see an example of how this is applied just in a project or kind of different organizations that worked before. Because I think this, this is something that we kind of intrinsically or implicitly we do, but it's yeah. not made explicit. And I, and I believe that we should be making this more explicit about what we're learning. And this comes back into the organization. Explicit knowledge. Yeah. So an example is I was working on a with with the customer success team um, at a startup, uh, and so the problem they had is that 
they had a ticketing system and people would submit a request when they had some sort of issue with their account or with their, with their software. This was a SaaS business. And they, their problem is how do we effectively help these people in, in the shortest amount of time possible? The complication was that not every uh, instance, not every customer uh, waits the same. There were those that just started and were on trial and those that were in the top 1% of, in terms of revenue generation. So they wanted to focus on those that were in the top 5%. And they needed to get all the information, like the context around the user experience for that customer in very quickly. But we didn't have systems that could do that. So that the engineers have plenty of databases. Oh, so many databases because the architecture changed over time. And so one of the very simple things we did was create um, a Slack bot uh, that you know, one command, one ping, would bring you the most important metrics for that, for that instance. Of course, metrics didn't really exist in that form, so we have to design them. But it was, you know, overall, it was like a six-week project. And that information... So that was, if you look at that, that's not knowledge creation. That is just taking information that exists in databases and bringing and surfacing them, surfacing that information to these people. But as a result of that process, they started understanding their customers better. And now they could inform su the support team as well on what to do or what was, you know, a sticky point that they realized they didn't even have a clue that that sticky point was there. Now, because that information was in context and was available at a fingertip, they, they could understand the customer experiences so much better. Is that knowledge creation? I think that's the beginning of, a new, of, of knowledge creation, is a new insight, a new view on an old problem that was opaque, now is transparent, and now you can start reasoning about it. And that's, the, that's what kicks off the, the, the gears in the brain. That's, yeah, and creates knowledge. I really like this. It's kind of a new view on an existing old problem. And then once you have that new view, you're actually, I mean, that's where kind of, that is why diversity is so important because you kind of get yeah. different points of views to look at this problem that we've always been seeing it. You put the same people in the same room, look at this problem over and over again. They're not, but you change, you mix it up, right? And then you're going to come up with different ideas. And this is where knowledge comes in. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges with all of this, though, is that, you know, so often the insight happens, you're using the knowledge, you have the insight, like, for example, this example that you gave, right, where yeah. uh, able to consult the support team better and things like that, that insight happens. How do you capture it? How do you bottle that? Right. Because sometimes that first level of knowledge creation happens. But some of the most interesting knowledge creation, I think, is the second, third, fourth order kind of knowledge that you're creating about use cases, about business value, about, you know, um, a new monetization strategies, new data product strategies. It's things that are different than just, oh, here's the first level of knowledge. But sometimes people think it. It's yeah, in their head. Yeah. But it doesn't, and, but, it's not captured. Is that, is and, that okay? Is and, that, and, 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 to that, and to that point, I think one of the mm -hmm. things when, when it comes to knowledge is that how we all think about how to automate stuff, right? I mean, and what does even mm -hmm. automate knowledge creation mean, right? I mean, mm -hmm. and I think some people's like, oh, this is too much manual work because it's not going to go scale. It's always a thing, right? Right. So how do we, how do we respond to that? How, how would you respond to that? I don't think you can automate knowledge creation 100%, but what you can do is create systems that make it super easy 
to access established knowledge and to add to that uh, body of knowledge. Um, and so that's not just obviously software, as we, you said many, many times on the show, is pe people and processes. But if the thing is, we, we are in for a very good reason, we are lazy machines, right? It's, it's, there's, there's evolutionary reasons why we, <laughs> you know, we favor the path of least resistance. So it's not something to be ashamed. Of. It's not something you know. And I hate when I when I hear people, you know, the sort of narrative around knowledge management and data management that you've got to do the work right and you have to put the effort. And if if you don't do it, it's because you don't understand it. Maybe there is some, definitely some people out there that don't get why you need to manage things, right? But I think most people have an intuition. If I buy a property. I, I'm going to make sure that I've got keys for that property and I've got the paperwork and I'm not going to just leave the paperwork out on the street or make a billion copies and distribute it in the libraries of 50 cities in the country because that is an asset to me and I want to retain control of that asset. So same thing with data and, and knowledge. I mean, there's no much more than that, to be honest. But what really makes a difference for me is, and I've seen it on my own business, creating my own you know, small one-person gig um, type of systems, we it it's not gonna happen. Knowledge management is not gonna happen if there is even the slightest friction, <laughs> you know, because we're busy. We've got a billion priorities, and it has to be easy. It has to be intuitive. So that's one and, one way to make it to make it. And I think there, I and something to add to that is that there needs to be incentives for this, and I think because you can make it easy. But people are like, okay, what am I going to get out of it? Because I got these other things to go do anyways, right? I mean, uh, so I think that the incentives part is something that we need to start thinking about. So, I, I mean, I've been I've been tinkering this idea. I brought this up before and, and testing it out with a lot of our customers and stuff is let's go catalog the questions that you have. Let's go, what are the, what are, what keeps you up at night? I did this experience when I told people, what keeps you up at night? Go write it down. What metrics would you use? Go write it down. And... And, and then surprisingly, everybody had a bunch of stuff. I'm like, yeah, okay, I, I got that down. So it was an easy thing. People were like, people were, were very open to go to give that. But then like, okay, what do I go do with this such that I can get more of the feedback? So people's like, I already told you, like, what else do you need from me? Right. I think this is where we need to start understanding how we can kind of capture this knowledge and do something more interesting around it because it's not just about uh, just keeping track of questions and stuff. But Anyway, Absolutely. I, think, I think we need to push the barriers on this and, and we're, it's so open kind of green field here. Yeah. And team, just to connect this with what you said before about second order, third order, fourth order, which I love is the uh, perhaps, and this is maybe just a crazy idea, but perhaps the, the common connection between those two or one way forward is to think about a community model within the organization uh, it's like Reddit or or um, you know or Stack uh, Overflow. What you do, you post a question, people upvote questions, and there's kind of a natural selection going on, where questions that are useful and that are relevant get upvoted, and people comment. And uh, so, not only that is transparent because you know everybody can see the questions that have already been asked, and so you don't reinvent the wheel and you save time. But it also gives a platform for people that are not necessarily into public speaking. And you know, standing up on a stage and giving a munch and learn kind of session to to shine as well, because we're not we're not you know we love cameras and microphones we hear, but there's a whole bunch of people that don't necessarily like that medium. They prefer text, 
short text tweets even right they they're so efficient <laughs> um different styles of communication and that platform could bring these people together uh, and 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 encourage that knowledge exchange but you've got to go through the process of an idea share that idea get people comfortable to process it and share their own view on that idea and i think that is the messy nonlinear process that i was talking about that brings you to the second tier, the third level, and the fourth level of knowledge creation. But you got to spend time and you got to have a platform. Otherwise, it's just, hey, I had an idea, boom, and it ends there. Not nice. Yeah. I like this. I like your comments about, like, think like Reddit, think like Twitter. I mean, you know, I, I honestly think there isn't... Um, there isn't a good solution for this today. Like, this idea of, like... I want to contribute my my knowledge in small chunks. Like we we still as a world really think in terms of like Wikipedia and stuff like that. It's like much more like, oh, the body of knowledge is a document. It's you know, so I, I don't know. That's that's more of a stub of a thought, but like there's there's an opportunity here that I think meets some of the incentives that you're thinking about, but it's just not really solved well. Yeah, no, I mean yeah. And you think about, I mean. I'm just like literally staring right now here in the open as I'm like thinking it, within organizations, like how much we all agree this, there's so much stuff that's in people's heads that, and it's written some places that we don't know where it is. And those folks will leave. They retire. We're trying to onboard people organization. Like I just can quantify the amount of time and money being wasted in because we are not keeping track of this. And then, and then, but we think about it is, is, the solution is some technology or whatever, like, Oh, have a wiki. Well, we would have done that stuff. And then, then doesn't get up to date and stuff. And like, so is that it? Are we just doomed to like, just the smartest will survive and we'll, and, and we'll know this and that's it. No, I think, no, I think, I think we can do it. You're more optimistic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm super optimistic. And I know that I know I, I'm very much aware that the, fuel of that optimism the reason why the, the what where is it coming from i think for me it's coming from adrenaline adrenaline spikes i literally get an adrenaline hit every time i have i know something and i share with someone and that someone interacts actively on that piece of knowledge i i don't it's just it's just you know all my systems go on and they are excited and i enjoy it and that's why i run the podcast not everybody is like that, and it's totally yeah. fine. But there's other ways, and I think that positive that positive loop can can be still implemented even if you don't like public speaking. Uh, but it's all about like understanding. G give me a platform. Give me a voice. I, I see silent heroes. To be to be honest, I met excellent DevOps engineers in uh, in my days in Sydney. People that could do things that to me were unbelievable uh, in terms of speed, efficiency, and, and that, that complexity, they were the most silent people. Never, ever, you know, they only speak if you look at them straight in the eyes and you ask a question, <laughs> direct question to them, then they will say something. And it's typically a tweet length response, right? It's not like a conversation. They don't, they just not geared that way. Those people are super smart. There's a lot of domain knowledge in their heads. And if you go and try to extract it, you most certainly will get, will get a, a defense mechanism that kicks in and they will just close up, close down. Right? They're not going to open up. So that psychological safety and is, is key because if you, I know that I'm not, there's not, there's not a threat here, right? It's okay. 
it's okay to share what I know because you're not going to copy and steal it away from me because my performance is not based on what I as an individual achieve. It's based on as you know what we together achieve. And that so it goes down to culture. So you can't really decompose these things, but I think a platform can help. Yeah. So, so I think... I think that there, there's different aspects about like, okay, understanding how some technology works and so forth. But I, I'm, I'm really interested in, in something I've been talking to some folks recently is what about like catalog and understanding business processes and like, where do these live and, and how up to date are they? Because processes change all the time and these processes will affect this data, the systems or whatever, like, and these processes is knowledge about how the business works, right? And then we look at all the different data teams, systems, like I feel that there's connected from business processes. And you look at tools like BPMMs and all that stuff, and that's disconnected from people using now Snowflake and DBT, all these things. Like, wow, this is disconnected when this should all be eventually all connected. And then the question is like, how do we connect this? I, I don't know. I, I, I feel you on that on the optimism, but I, I look at all these op- – all these different organizations and i'm like how the heck are we going to be able to connect all this stuff together and and we're striving for it i'm this is my i want to go do this but it's overwhelming i'm having my kind of negative pause right now i'll shut up right now loris you got me excited actually because yeah. when, when, uh, when when uh, juan was like hey are we doomed i was like uh-oh um but like your, your response here really got me excited, which is this idea of the feedback loop or the feedback me- mechanism of like, okay, well, you know, maybe this is, maybe this actually all can work, right? It, because there's, um, you know, people just need to know that what they're contributing is having an impact. And, and I don't know that we always have that traceability and that, no- that knowledge mm-hmm. around how our knowledge is, uh, is impacting things. Yeah, no, we don't. So back to what Juan said, the incentives before. Incentives is not just you know rewriting or updating the process through which you're going to get a pay rise or uh, you can renegotiate your salary. That's mm-hmm. It's not just that. Incentives are about the subtle little things we do when we meet with the team, the, the praises, the opportunities for people to explain why they're feeling anxious right now you know and in an open space that is that is an incentive because if i know that my workplace and my team makes intentionally the time to listen to what is happening in my little world i know that i'm heard i gain more there's more trust between me and my my you know my my boss and my my colleagues and that trust builds um, relationships, right? So we go back to full circle. It's about the relationships within the team. And once you feel safe and you feel heard and you feel like nothing is something uh, out of, um, you know, to be a, a reason to be ashamed of because there's no judgment, then ideas start flowing really, really quickly. What kills that? A culture where, uh, you know, you people, people fight to get to the top and um, only the loudest and the most uh, fierce person gets promotion, the promotion because it's the, they're the only ones that are seen by, by the top management. So that's obviously that doesn't work. So it, it's really a people. And it's, it, when we say it's a people and processes challenge, it's absolutely that. But it's mostly, I think, a people because the process is, is something that comes as a result 
of interactions, of ideas, of knowledge being exchanged. And that's when you find a good way to solve a problem and you define a process, but the process is short-lived, as you say, round one, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't last forever. So what are you going to do next iteration? Um, so it's, a, it's an internal battle that organizations need to fix and it requires that, you know, perhaps organizational psychologists should be part of data teams in the future. Mm. Uh, this, 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 the this, therapist? This hits a, a spot for me that I talk about it, the data therapist. And I, and I, I tell this to people like, but my, my wife, is, she's, a, she's a behavior analyst. So she's, uh, her PhD is in special education and, and applied behavior an analysis. And she's, uh, she works with children with autism, but she's a person who's made me think much more about the, the people aspect and specifically the behaviors, understanding people and their behaviors and how they go change behavior, understand their incentives and, 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 and be able to go talk to people. And, and, and so I think I, I genuinely, here's a, here's this crazy idea. I brought this up before is that you have some sort of a, a therapist, right? It's that a person who will go off and go talk to people and go ask those whys is that curiosity. And I think this person, imagine this person reports to somewhere in the C-suite. And they're going to be, I mean, it's almost a type of a consultant of a thing, but somebody who works in there, who has a skin in the game with the organization, they're going off and saying, hey, what keeps you up at night? Why? 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 All right, then connects a dot. Yeah. Let me go talk to this other person. Why? Why? I'm just going off. I'm starting to create the map of understanding where things are. And then you go present this literally to the CC. So I'm, I'm just sharing observations about this stuff, right? You, you're all thinking the operational goals of the company is to go this way, northwest. But if people are thinking about the problems that are here southeast, like, uh, did you even know about this? And, and I mean, don't blame the messenger. Right. So I think I think there is some room here to kind of be, be do some radical, weird, weird things that we've not done before yeah loris what's your perspective on the, the um, role of this data therapist and what juan's saying here i've been thinking about this a little bit and um i think there's two there's two elements i think one is uh, everybody should become um more aware at least of what therapy is and the process of um addressing issues and getting at the bottom of, uh, of, of problems. I think that's also uh, always helpful. But I think one is right. I mean, you got to have that external person that is domain agnostic, that doesn't have, you know, someone that doesn't care, doesn't, doesn't particularly care whether it's engineering that's going to get more budget next, uh, next time the, the board um, decides how to allocate funding, right? Someone that sits at the top that is completely, it's part of the organization, but it doesn't really belong to any particular domain, but can speak the language of the of, of each domain. I can, you know, get, have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a VP of sales and one with a VP of whatever procurement or, 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 or product and speak their language and connect the dots and say, hey, actually, you know, I talked about this very similar thing with the other person just yesterday. Maybe we should have a chat. Do you mind if I get a coffee? You know, we, we find an hour and sit together. And that's how new ideas are, are, are born. But it can't be done just at the VP level. It has, has to penetrate the organization, I think, from the top, the C-suite, all the way to the bottom. And so these people are going to have a ton of work to do, to be honest. And there's really no blueprint except for best practices in psychology and communication. But when you apply that to the business and now you're not in one domain, but you cross domain, well, I can imagine it's kind of challenging to do that. <laughs> I'd yeah. love to jump on a role like that in the future, but 
um, these people need to be supported as well. Otherwise, you know, they're going to end up uh, silent quitting themselves and we're back on square one. Mm. Oh, this has been a, yeah. this has been a, a, a phenomenal conversation. Very deep, as I mentioned earlier, deep and philosophical. Before we get, yeah. go to our lightning round, I want to go yeah. one final kind of question here is what's your advice to the technical folks? People who are listening, who are just, they're the ones who roll up their sleeves and they go, they're the ones who write the, the data pipeline, the engineer, the SQL queries and all that stuff. What's your advice to them? So, the, uh, of course, the first advice is you already know your technical stuff. So um, next time that you're bored on those uh, rainy weekends, perhaps a Saturday when you're thinking of ordering Thai food to dive into the new real-time uh, architecture and try to implement a thing from scratch, uh, consider investing your time in uh, uh, the soft, the, what, what people call the soft skills, which we already established they should be called human skills. Um, and that is that is communication, and the only way you can do that is not by watching a tutorial online, uh, is by actually doing it. So don't do it on the weekend. Rest on the weekends, and when you when you can, find that thirty minutes uh, lunch opportunity instead of eating in front of your screen if you can. Uh, meet people and challenge yourself, and um, and that I know what helped me is to be honest is meditation as well that opened the sort of a new journey into metacognition for me. I'm trying to be more aware of how much I'm, I am not aware of myself. And the more I do that, the more I realize actually <laughs> it's crazy how much I don't know what I do and how I speak and the, the body language that I put out there into the world. But I'm, I'm trying, you know, it's a lifelong pro project. It doesn't, it's a program, it's not a project, it never ends. But it's fascinating. So if you're into personal growth and growth mindset, plenty, plenty to learn. Oh, that, was, that thank you for that. I think this is. I think it's also important why getting back in person is really is is paramount for this type of knowledge creation uh, mm -hmm. and kind of knowledge sharing. Because, I mean, it's hard to do it behind a screen, right? Just, just having that social. Let's go have a let's go have a coffee. Let's go have a beer. Let's go just have a cup a cup of tea or whatever. Let's go let's go chat about that. So. All right. Well, the time flies. I mean, this is great. And I look forward to, kind of, wow. to, to, to I look forward to having more of these conversations. Uh, but let's let's move to our lightning round, which is presented by data.world, uh, the data catalog for successful cloud migration. And I'll, I'll kick it off first. So we talk so much about data, 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 data. Will people care about knowledge? Yes, I hope so. It's without that, it's kind of pointless. It's just rows, entries in databases. Well, I mean, I'm with you that I hope so. I think, I think it, it better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's, happen, right? I think it's, uh, it's up to folks like you and us and everybody. And a lot of people we talk to, like, we need to make this change. That's that paradigm shift. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Absolutely. Second question. So, if, if a company, has a very closed culture around sort of curiosity, knowledge sharing, sort of being vulnerable that way. Does change start because individuals in the company are going to make a choice and really from the ground up start to make that groundswell? Or in contrast, is it really something that has to start from the top? Um, I think there's option uh, C. Uh, it has to be a combination of top and bottom. Uh, they, they have to meet somewhere in between. There's not going to be, you can't do it without support from top leadership. 
and you can't do it without the engagement of people actually doing the job. Um, so there has to be a balance, I think. All right, next one. Um, is knowledge creation a job? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a tricky one. Uh, depends on what you mean with a job. Um, a job to me sounds like, oh God, something I got to do, you know? I think it's more of a fun thing. But if you, for job, you mean like something that has a clear scope and must produce an output, a very clear output, then yes, knowledge creation is a job. Hopefully it's a fun job to do. All right. Hmm. All right, last question. Fast forward three years from now, will the data slash organizational therapist or organizational psychologist be a real role? I very much hope so. Uh, maybe not not mainstream yet. I think it's going to take a little longer than that. But um, uh, but I, I still see some you know beginning that the, the just the sparks. You know something is changing. People understand that it is about people and processes. And so what does that mean? You know someone will have to figure it out. And as you experiment, this stuff will will become obvious. And there's plenty of brilliant people managers out there that know about psychological safety and leadership. So it won't it won't take long to connect the dots. Yeah, I, I hope so. It certainly feels like we're moving in that direction. And with things like data product managers, for example, it feels like there's more of an emergence and a valuing of roles that are caring about the stakeholders mm -hmm. and thinking about like, oh, how can we provide more value to each other? And what are your problems, right? So I think hopefully we're moving in the right direction. Yep. Well, uh, Tim, take us away with your takeaways. We got so much stuff here that um, I'm just going through our, our list of takeaways. Yeah, so many good <laughs> takeaways from this conversation, Loris. And, and like to start off, we kind of talked about like, how, how do you understand your business? How do you, you know, really absorb and create knowledge and uh what you what you really mentioned and i bolded it in my notes is never be tired to ask questions and follow the money so ask questions follow the money uh, it's okay not to understand ask questions ask questions learn follow the connections relationships are really key relationships are between people value is based on people not based on machines uh, and if you understand the dynamics, the relationships, the people, you can make uh, you can make decisions more effectively, uh, and ultimately it will all lead to cash flow. So this all connects back to business, the business value at the end. Um, and um, how do you know what relationships matter the most, though, or what people matter the most, or what uh, you know things matter the most? Um, you need business literacy to know that. So for data people, this is a theme that keeps on coming up over and over again lately on our show is that it's not just about trying to get the business people to have data literacy. It's perhaps even more important for us to really think about how do we bring business literacy to data people and, and, and really encourage that. Um, how do we get people thinking this way? Is it just for business leaders or is it for everyone? And you said, no, it's for everyone. Like everyone needs to be a part of this and thinking this way. Um, and you kind of made a callback to our, our conversation with um, with Matt and Joe Reese, uh, uh, the writers of the, uh, the the data engineering book from um, Fundamentals of Data Engineering from O'Reilly around uh, curric curriculum driven development for technical people. As technical people, we get fixated on the latest stack 
that's an implementation focus, not a business focus. Um, business feels messy. Feels like, you know, it's more like people and it's fuzzier. It's a different language. It's uncomfortable. Uh, we don't do it because we worried, we're worried we're going to get judged. And so you have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable um, and be willing to kind of put yourself out there and, and, uh, and sort of practice it. Do it, right? Because if you don't do it, it's really hard to do. You don't fall into that pattern. Uh, see patterns when you're outside the team. People appreciate it when you see patterns and, and try to have genuine conversations. So be curious. Ask questions. Uh, the more you know, the more you learn you don't know. Um, there's a difference between knowledge transfer and knowledge creation, you said, right? Knowledge transfer is more this sort of structured, ready to absorb, very constrained kind of information. But it doesn't go into communication or, or connection or empathy or some of the more business context, the relationship side of it. Uh, and it doesn't go beyond sort of the basic requirements, whereas knowledge creation is it's messy. It's not linear. You can't always predict how long it's going to take. And creating knowledge within the enterprise um, is something that's uh, a lot harder, but perhaps a lot more valuable, uh, an untapped opportunity. Uh, and you mentioned some creative approaches to be able to kind of do knowledge creation. Um, you know, uh, for example, you mentioned like creating a Slack bot that uh, uh, would provide the most important metrics to people. And it starts that conversation and, and starting to like leverage that knowledge in more interesting ways, create sort of second order knowledge. Um, and then uh, you also mentioned uh, about sort of um, automation, right, as being a factor that can help. Um, you can't do 100% automation, right? And perhaps it's even hard to get close to 100%. Uh, but uh, you can make it easy to access and you can add, you can make it easy to add to the body of knowledge. So I thought that was some great advice there. And then Juan, what about you? What were your takeaways? We got, we got more here. So one of them is um, humans are lazy. Oh, I, love I, love, I love this. This is, this is the honest company. We're lazy machines. So we always favor the path of least resistance, right? So um, I think that's something we need to acknowledge. And so, one of the ideas is like, how can we come up with create a, some sort of a community model, like within an organization, think of like a Reddit or stuff like that. And where we can be get very tight and short and concise about uh, what we're talking about. Like think, think like Twitter, we always talk, talk about that. Right. So uh, we, th this was something that I really liked is well, humans are lazy. How do we make sure that we can extract and kind of create that knowledge, understanding those, those understanding those incentives that we need to be able to go provide around that. I mean, and then we're like, uh, this kind of seems like, is it actually going to happen? Are we doomed or not? I mean, you're happy. I'm happy to hear that you're optimistic about that. And I like how you said that you get that adrenaline spike when you, when you, when you know something, you teach it to somebody else and somebody else acts upon it, they get excited about that. I think we need to have more of those adrenaline spikes and, and get people kind of learning more about what's happening. And, and I think that, that you show that excitement, other people get that excitement and that, that all sticks around that. And then, we talked again about that data therapist or organizational psychologist. Um, everybody should learn about therapy around these things and maybe uh, someone external kind of who, who, who can oversee everything around the different organizations who are not like specific to a particular domain. They can have that objective viewpoint about things and that's that facilitator. And then finally, I like your advice to the technical people. It's like, yeah, you know what? Get out of your uh, lunch in front of your screen. No, go talk to somebody else and just go understand what department they're in and what, what are they working on and why are they working on that and why is that important? Just start to get – that's a kind of very easy steps about that. Woof, that was a lot. And meditate. That was a great summer. And meditate. Yeah, meditate. Meditate. And I might, I might have uh, – 
fantastic. I, I, just re-listening, I think I'm, I got my neuroscience wrong, and that tells you that I'm not a neuroscientist. I think it's dopamine, it's not adrenaline, the, the, the spike that I'm looking for. But yeah, oh, the message is there. You know, get your dopamine spike, find it, chase, cherish it, because that's energy. Uh, in the end, you know, if you are six or seven levels disconnected from the chief executive, that's the reality of large organizations. You know, if they don't, you can't expect for people to always say to praise you to find that spike. Sometimes it has to be, it has to come from within yourself. You know, even when nobody is actually seeing the work you're doing, but you still feel that dopamine spike. And you're like, I'm gonna go to work tomorrow, and I'm gonna try X, Y, and Z. You know, and you keep you keep following that, uh, yeah, that uh, that engine. Yeah. All right. So now back to you. Three questions. What's your advice? Who should invite next? And what resources do you follow? Uh, okay. So from, I'm going to go in reverse order. Resource I follow, let me let me read my uh, podcast list. So there's one podcast that I really love, uh, The Knowledge Project by uh, Sean Parrish. I've been listening for quite some time and he just covers a lot of things and just recently a lot into the psychology and building teams and emotional intelligence, which is really interesting. Uh, I should get him on my podcast eventually. I'll, I'll get there. There is um, uh, Equity Mates. Uh, it's a fantastic podcast. It talks about investing, but you really understand more you know, money. So if you're not that well-equipped thinking about money and investing in businesses and um, and VCs and, you know, capital raises and all that stuff. That's an excellent podcast. So that, that, you know, it's the beginning of developing those business skills. Um, what else do I follow? I follow The Look and Sound of Leadership is another fantastic resource by uh, Tom Henschel. Uh, he's got this storytelling format, you know, short 10 minutes episodes that are solo. So it's just him telling a story. Uh, but yeah, it's power. They're powerful. You know, I, and the short anecdotes, you know, of things that happened and how that person managed to gain uh, more confidence or establish executive presence, things that we need, we as data technical people need to develop a, a lot more. I think these are the top three, to be honest. And obviously, well, wow. the Catalog and Cocktails podcast should be in the top three. As I said in my podcast, um, it's definitely in the top three list because you guys cover so many topics and just to, it's it's just food for my brain. <laughs> well, so keep doing thank that. You so much. Yeah. So we love it. And we love your podcast That's as true. well. So discovering yeah. data is awesome. So go in reverse. So then who should we invite next? Um, hmm. You know, I, it's been a long time on my list, but I, and it's probably never going to happen for me because I'm not at that stage there, but I love to have a conversation with Simon Sinek. Um, he's been talking about leadership for a very long time and popularizing uh, a lot of concepts like infinite games, mindsets, and all that stuff. It'd be, it'd be cool to have a chat with him or maybe with someone that worked with him sooner or later to get to get yeah. insights on how do you actually build teams, you know, and lead them and make them thrive. Hold the why. Yeah, start with why. And, oh, man, yeah. I would love to chat with him. We should wow. team up and figure out how we can get him in a room. Maybe, yeah, exactly. Maybe we can invite him. That's actually a great idea. Go figure this out. We combine the audiences. One episode. And we, yeah, definitely. Let's do it. Yep. And finally, what's your what's your advice about data, life? Life? Whatever. <laughs> I don't Whatever. know if I can give Brought advice up. about life, to be honest. Uh, life is messy. I'm still very much in the process of figuring that out. Uh, data, 
data, the advice about data. Well, don't, my advice is this. Don't think too much about data. Think about the, what you can learn from the data. In other words, knowledge. And don't, to, don't fix too much on the knowledge you acquire and control as an owner of knowledge. Instead, think about the multiplication effect that comes in when you share knowledge. So find opportunities to share that as much as possible, whether it's a talk or a Slack or a tweet, whatever is your channel, share knowledge, get feedback and learn and find your dopamine spike. That's a great way to finish this. Loris, this was fantastic. Thank you for going. We got we went down this very interesting kind of road of of being practical and being kind of uh, philosophical around this. And these are the conversations that I truly appreciate because they they stick with you. Guys, absolute pleasure. I had so much fun. We should do this again. Very yeah, much, yeah. very much looking forward to this. Well, That's thank awesome. thank you so much. And as always, we say thanks to Data World who lets us do this all the time. And Loris, thanks to you. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. With my, Cheers with my empty coffee. <laughs> this is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan